You're listening to the MoneyWeb SAFM Market Update Podcast. This feature is brought to you by 91. Investing for a world of change. 2024 has started off much like 2023 with a need for uh, finding valuable investment uh, opportunities, particularly in the climate that we find ourselves in. I'm joined on the line by Portfolio Manager at 91, Paul Carr, to take a look at some unique opportunities that might be available for investors seeking uh, diversified income streams and stable income streams, especially with all of the developments that are happening around the world. Good evening, Paul. Thanks so much for taking the time. I suppose let's start with where we stand on uh, the outlook for products like fixed income products and especially at a global level with interest rates around the world having very different conversations unfolding uh, to what we thought we'd be seeing uh, at the start of the year. Yeah, hi, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on today. Um, It's really interesting. I mean, we very much think that with interest rates close to 17-year highs, in particular in the the US, you know, it is an attractive opportunity for investors um, to to generally benefit from a a yield, this generous yield environment that's currently out there. Uh, In particular, I think at the moment, because there's very much a consensus view that the interest rate cycle currently has peaked. And the expectations are that interest rates are coming down. And in some respects, earlier in the year, there were expectations for those interest rates to come down quite rapidly. Um, but that's been pared back a little bit. Uh, ultimately, we think inflation you know, will be that key driver for rate cuts this year rather than a much weaker growth outlook. So we think that's, you know, it's really attractive for, for relatively conservative investors that want to pick up um, attractive cash plus income over and above um, very conservative US um, dollar cash at the moment. Paul, you mentioned that we anticipate that rates have peaked, um, but the uncertainty still remains around uh, the aggressiveness with which the rate cuts uh, will take place. Does this mean then that investors that are yield hungry at this stage would have uh, a bit more runway to get in some last minute yields or should uh, or are investors starting to see it as a slowdown in the cycle and maybe uh, looking to see when they start to pull out of things like fixed income? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. We, we don't think that it's too soon at all to pull out. I mean, ultimately, you know, we think the rate cutting cycle at the moment really looks too aggressive. Um, it, there's a lot of uncertainty, actually, as we go through this year about when the first rate cut may even materialise and it keeps getting pushed out. I mean, when we look into it with a little bit more detail, we understand that the, the Federal Reserve forecast just three 25 basis point cuts for 2024. Uh, and then the markets paired back that, those expectations to close to four cuts um, for, for this year. And we actually at the moment think that's a little bit too much in itself. We think somewhere close to three rate cuts this year may be realistic. Um, with growth actually looking as strong as it has done, there may be a risk that we just get two cuts this year but at the moment we think three rate cuts is most probably you know a relatively good outcome for this year which given absolute levels uh, of cash where it currently is above us dollar cash it just looks an attractive environment for fixed income investors Paul, let's dig into those rate cuts and that forecast a little bit more. We've got an FOMC meeting coming out tomorrow, on Wednesday that is, and that meeting obviously we are expecting a lot more guidance around uh, what the Fed's position is on these rate cuts. And we've already touched on the fact that we're not likely to see much aggression 
in the rate cutting cycle. Have we got a timing from the cut perspective in that do we anticipate that this is now Q3 or Q4? I know when we initially uh, came into 2024, we had outlined at least one cut by the start of Q2. And at the moment, that looks like that's not happening at all. Where do we see the timings coming through uh, with these rate cuts? And how will those timings then influence what um, conservative investors or even yield-hungry investors might be thinking uh, at this stage? Yeah, absolutely. We, we came into the year quite um, with a quite dovish outcome. Um, and I think that was pretty much guided by the Fed, you know, in that peak policy rates really mean that the next step within a couple of quarters or, or or certainly the first quarter meant that rates were coming down and the market very much honed in on, on March being the first potential rate cut. But since then, um, we've really had stronger growth. And I think that's going to be critical to the, the initial starting point of that cutting cycle. We've had quite strong labour markets, very strong, actually, when you look at the relative data. But also, as central banks have really highlighted, that last stage of getting inflation down is the most critical. And I think that that central banks really don't want to ease off of tight policy until they've seen that inflation coming down, um, uh, you know, in line with their targets. And the most recent couple of prints, in particular from the United States, have been a little bit sticky. You know, when you look inflation's coming down, we get disinflation, but that last little leg is is proving quite tough. So I think a combination of this inflation normalization, but the strong growth means that in that the rate cutting cycle just continually gets pushed out. And I think, you know, ultimately, it may be something we have to think about in the second half of the year rather than anything happening in the first half of the year. As I said, if growth doesn't come down as quick as expected and actually surprises to the upside, it could get even pushed into the fourth quarter this year. But ultimately, you know, what I think is important is that growth remains firm. So you get a generous income as a, a conservative investor. But for portfolios like the, 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 the Global Diversified Income Portfolio that we run at 91, it's very much focused on you know, attractive cash plus returns. And in a strong growth environment, it really does support portfolios as like that, that you have a, a, an income, an element of, of cash plus credit within those portfolios. Mm. Paul, we looked at America. I want to look at a couple of other geographical preferences that you might have. I know that we are uh, looking at regions like uh, the UK and Japan as other developed markets. But in both cases, just last week, it seems we've gone into a technical recession uh, on both fronts. Is that having an impact on how investors are seeing things from a growth perspective? Because you just mentioned uh, that with prospects and, and looking forward towards these things, um, the the income part of it is one component of it, but uh, growth and, and inflation management is a whole other conversation that still is happening. Is this affecting how you're viewing uh, things like UK bonds or possibly even Japanese bonds? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we very much focused on investing the portfolio across the entirety of the developed market universe. And I think that allows us to take opportunities in countries where we see the outlook being much more favorable for fixed income assets. And the UK, as you mentioned, is exactly um, one of those markets that we think is much more favorable for fixed income assets. We think, you know, the Bank of England have raised interest rates quite um, significantly. And as you mentioned, we've had a technical recession in the UK now with growth remaining very, very weak. You know, we think ultimately the growth outlook in the UK stabilizes to some extent. 
But that does mean, I think, that growth remains relatively weak, but inflation has been coming down. And those combinations just mean that, you know, we believe that UK bonds, you know, having that little bit of exposure in the portfolio to UK bonds really diversifies the returns and um, return stream for our underlying investors. So we think UK is quite attractive as well. And interestingly, you know, the, the market in Japan, for example, has been very much focused on normalization of interest rate policy in Japan. And and to some extent, it's being being delayed because growth has somewhat been surprising a little bit lower than expected in Japan, but also inflation. You know, they've structurally been waiting for a turnaround in inflation in, in Japan for many years. And this has gradually been occurring, but it's been occurring a lot slower than investors have been expecting. So we think there's opportunities, you know, to take advantage of this by being underweight the Japanese yen, for example, within the portfolio. It has quite a negative correlation with bonds, but ultimately having having some exposure to short Japanese yen in the portfolio, again, offers some smoother return profile to the underlying returns and diversification where we see those when we see those opportunities. Paul, you touched on the uh, Global Diversified Income Fund. I wonder if I could pick your brain around this. Where do you see emerging market uh, bonds fitting into a portfolio like that, given that we are starting to see that emerging markets are coming back into the fold as somewhat of an attractive destination? Are you still seeing uh, risk within emerging markets as uh, elevated, or is it now starting to look like something you could say, we could probably dip into this in the portfolio? No, absolutely. We look at, certainly for this portfolio, we look at emerging market bonds and emerging market credit. It's not the core component of this portfolio, but we think ultimately emerging markets offer that diversifying um, uh, risk-adjusted returns for portfolios. So they make a very attractive investment case, I think, uh, you know, where where you have them in your portfolio and your risk um, uh, uh, alternative. So we, we, we have some exposure to emerging markets in this portfolio, but predominantly this portfolio is developed markets, um, ultimately trying to earn cash plus returns or US dollar cash plus returns for conservative investors. And we think emerging markets offer the risk adjusted returns that fit within that profile. But we, we only have a small allocation within our portfolio. But ultimately, you know, with volatility actually being a lot higher in developed markets relative to emerging markets, Emerging markets offer that diversified portfolio um, return stream that just makes for more um, diversified returns as we move forward. I suppose this is the unique benefit of having such a global footprint as 91 does. We'll leave the conversation at that. Thanks so much, Paul. That was Paul Carr, who is portfolio manager at 91, sharing his thoughts around their uh, latest portfolio or their existing portfolio offering. Uh, that's the Global Diversified Income Fund, but also his outlook on emerging markets and developed markets where it relates to fixed income. This feature was brought to you by 91, investing for a world of change. We can stay here, stick with what worked before, keep our eye on that one spot, steadfast. Or we can recognize that the only constant is change. At 91, we believe that with change comes opportunity. That's why we have 250 investment professionals in the world's investment hubs actively seeking opportunities for you, wherever in the world they may be. Isn't it time to change how you see investing? Invest offshore with 91. 91. Investing for a world of change. 91 is an authorized FSP. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb SAFM market update podcast, uploaded weekdays at 7 p.m.
For more MoneyWeb podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.